Welcome to Loans Elevated, the podcast that brings you the latest industry news, expert interviews, and insightful discussions that will help you stay ahead in this dynamic market. I'm your host, Brock Lassig, and I've spent years in the trenches of the mortgage industry, helping individuals and businesses navigate the complex landscape of real estate financing. I'm your co-host, TJ Heidenreich, and together we'll cover a wide range of topics from business strategies that skyrocket your success to mindset and motivation that fuel your growth. Recession. Yep. So diving into the next slide, who knows what the in, in, inverted yield curve is? But this is basically when investors are looking, at, there's a greater yield with the short term versus the long term, which is usually flipped. Usually, And the reason for that, just to, just mm-hmm. to clarify, yep. that's exactly what it is. The reason for that is investors feel more certain about the short term than they do the long run of like the United States, for example, mm-hmm. treasury bonds. If the two-year is paying more than the 10-year, that makes no sense because why would you lock your money up for 10 years to make less money? That's because the investors, there's no demand for the long term because there's too much uncertainty and ambiguity in, in the economy for the US. So that's yep. why. So every time this has happened in years past, we've gone into a recession. But when this first hit, which is 21, maybe 22, we were honestly like excited. Like we'd call each other at six in the morning, like, dude, you see it today? Like, yeah, we're, we're getting like, a recession. How like, it's, it's, is it gonna it's be? happening. It's <laughs> happening. And we have yet to see that. But then looking closer to the data, it's when once it's steepened and starts to come on the downward trend, that's when we start to see the recession hit, which we're doing right now. Yeah. So what you notice, like just to make that more clear, every time you see it come uninverted, like here, shortly after recession, which mm-hmm. is the gray bar, again here, again here, again here, 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 and we're yet to see it now, TBD. But every time since this data has been tracked, since 1965 or something, mm-hmm. we've hit a recession. When this happens, I think maybe there is a recession coming based on that information. We don't know, right? There's a lot, it's a different economy, but we're trying to draw similarities to what has happened in the past and what likely is gonna happen in the future. This to me seems like there will be a recession. Now the Fed's saying there's not gonna be a recession. Uh, the White House is saying there's not gonna be a recession. There are reasons for that, obviously. We've got a Fed president that does not want to fail. Like his, the stamp on his success as the Fed president is going to be what happens in this economy. Clearly, he doesn't want to fail. So they're saying no recession, no recession, no recession. The White House, same thing. They've got a big giant vote coming up. They're saying no recession, no recession, no recession. Some of this stuff, it's like, I don't understand how there can't be a recession. Uh, And again, going back to the employment data, it's like, how could there be a recession? We're at record low unemployment. Well, with part-time workers, you know, like not everybody can work four jobs forever. That's some of the stuff. But now this one is interesting too. Yeah, and let me preface, we're talking about a recession a lot. When we say recession, that doesn't mean that our industry as a whole is just going to tank like we saw in 2008, which we've talked about a lot about in past uh, forecasts. But really, I mean, in six out of the last seven recessions we've had, house prices have stayed flat or even gone up. So we're not saying this as a scare tactic for our industry, but what that does mean is the rest of the economy could be hit in some way, which we don't know, could then lower rates. And that's why we think politics have something to do with this. But the recession will cause the Fed to drop rates faster if the Fed drops and also inflation, inflation to drop faster. Mm-hmm. Inflation going down and Fed rate going down will result in lower rates. And what will happen if rates go down? Prices are yeah, and we all get super busy and our clients are happy, right? So that's why uh, recession is such an important thing and why we're trying to understand this. And we really strive to do our best to not investigate on it for confirmation bias. 
That's not what we are looking for, TJ and I. In fact, Kenya is here. She was at my office when we were doing some of this research and we're like, oh yeah, it's an election year. Rates go down in every election year. How many people have heard that? Everybody, right? It's not true. It's not, there's no, there is no There's no trend, correlation. Period. Sometimes we, they go up, sometimes they go down. We had even said that in the past. Yeah. And we're like, wait, okay, let's, let's fact check this. Yeah. We pulled up every single election. We're like, oh, wow, there's no correlation. Yep. So we've done our best to give you guys as objective data as possible here. We're not trying to just support our claim. Uh, but diving into this, I don't know if you want to. Yeah. Explain. So we've talked about unemployment rate. The same thing. Every time unemployment ticks up, we are then heading into a recession, which we can see we've ticked up. And if we stay in this trend that we have been in, then of course we, we would be in one. Pretty yeah. simple. Lead to a recession. Mm -hmm. And I think the most important thing to look at on this chart is you notice in the past, you always see a distinct role. If we were to zoom in on like month over month, mm -hmm. it would be like zigzag, zigzag, you know, it wouldn't look like this, but because we're zoomed out a little bit, what, what's, what's important to recognize that we have now, because the data is now apparent, is like this big distinct roll, right? Yep. There's like, it's not just one month that it goes up and then maybe goes down. We've seen some of that. It's the fact that you're seeing yep. a very distinct roll up, uh, which is from a trends perspective, a sign that you're likely going to keep that. I mean, it's happened every single time. Again, every time it's happened, we've, we've dove into a recession. The most important thing to understand, what she's asking is like, just because they didn't say it was a recession, they didn't cut the rates. And once they say it's a recession, they will cut the rates. I mean, kind of, but more importantly is the, is the, uh, the reactions of the general market, the reactions of the people, the hedge funds and the large banks buying and selling assets and make, you know, creating positions in our 401ks and mutual funds that we all own in our retirement accounts. It's the shift in, their perspective, because remember, the market pays attention to headlines. So if there's no recession in the headlines, hey, everything's great. If there's a recession in the headlines, oh crap, we got to start making some different bets. That's largely why it matters, which is odd because Wall Street has people that are much, much, much smarter than any of us probably. Um, so you would think they're looking at this data, but I think they know the same thing. Like so much of trading is done and so many, so many things are, are done by computer and automated just based on headlines. That's why the market moves this way. Technology kind of plays a role in that. Yeah, and the key thing you said was the decision-making. Because we thought this last year that the Fed was doing too much, too fast, and it wasn't letting it cook. We weren't feeling the effects of the rate hikes quite yet, which quite honestly, we still haven't felt the full effect yet, which I think we'll cover. Yeah, I think we have we'll a slide see. on that. Yeah. Um, and that's, it probably would have changed their decision-making of how quick they were doing it. Mm -hmm. Yep, which we're gonna dive into too, which is some very interesting stuff. Mm -hmm. This is talking about leading economic indicators. What goes into leading economic indicators are things like purchases of durable goods. So like cars and appliances, things that you buy once for, and they last for many, many years. Uh, we've got manufacturing orders, building permits, which a lot of this stuff we've seen. So these are leading indicators. What's likely to happen into the future based on the things that are happening today. Another just kind of interesting sign is you notice every time we get below this zero line on the leading economic indicators, we have a recession. And we're well, well, well below the zero line. Maybe not as deep as COVID, thank God, as deep as 2008, thank God. So we don't think it's gonna be this tremendous, just catastrophic thing, but I mean, the signs are just kind of there. So these are three things that it's like, how do you, how do you argue this? Like it, it's got to happen at some point. 
And that will influence Fed, that will influence markets, that will drop rates, create home price spikes, so on and so forth. And one thing we also notice is, does this lower even more? Because you can see in other ones we've had, you can see we're on an upward trend now. Does that lower like we've seen in the past where it goes up and then back down even well, we lower? Well, here. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, we drop below that zero line and then, I mean, hopefully that doesn't happen. Um, but there are some risks. You know, in our last one, if you guys saw it, we talked a lot about uh, commercial real estate. There's substantial risks in commercial real estate, and that's just kind of boiling. No one's talking about it, and I don't understand why, but it's a big freaking deal. There's like billions and billions of dollars in debt that has to reset. They have to get new debt at now 7% mortgage or interest rate, excuse me, whereas they underwrote those deals, the apartment buildings, the office buildings, they underwrote these deals based on 3 and 4% rates. Now they've got to make them perform at 7% rates. So I had an example, it was here in Utah, there was, a, there was a group, they own a office building and they've owned it for a long time. This is not a new build, but they've owned it for seven years. And in commercial debt, you have to your rate has to reset every five to seven years. So they're forced to reset their debt. This is a fully occupied commercial building, great leases. They've got like, I think a minimum of three years left on their leases, it's performing, everything's good. Because they have to refi and they don't have 40 something million to pay the, the thing off, but they have to refi. The bank is forcing them just to give them a refi on a perfectly performing asset. They have to principally reduce the loan by 17 million because the value in the bank's eyes because of what has gone on in, in, in office space is just not there and they have to hit a loan to value metric. Perfectly performing assets. So we could see innocent and uh, really diligent bystanders in this space get crushed because of it. And it's slowing their ability to invest in future projects too, going back to leading economic indicators. It's slowing their ability to do that because they're like, man, if the bank's gonna make us write a $17 million check here, well then we better not write the $17 million check for the new townhouse development or the new, you know, whatever. Uh, they're holding onto their cash a little bit, which is scary. I think it could be really problematic. That is the root of a recession that maybe gets this, if we're doomsdaying, maybe gets this bad in a recession like 2008. Thankfully, unlikely to impact residential real estate the same way because residential real estate, I had a stat of mortgaged properties. So excluding the free and clear properties of mortgaged properties, the average loan to value is only 46% in the US. So, and that is, those are per people, right? That, those are families which behave differently than businesses because businesses will file bankruptcy. It's fine. They just go start a new business and it's was, is what it is, right? Families, they wreck everything. There's divorce, kids are homeless. Like, I mean, it's like a big issue. Protecting, preserving those at that asset and that wealth in residential, I think is, it, that's why I don't believe it's going to be a significant risk to us, but I do think it's a significant risk to Wall Street and all these big investors and potentially, you know, like this uh, transfer of wealth maybe from a certain class into other classes because they're the ones that have bought into all this stuff and they're probably about to get kicked in the nuts. Ryan and I did the math while you were gone. It's uh, $200,000 per homeowner that they have equity in. So if they were to cash out of equity, every homeowner would have 200000 if it's balanced Average. Yeah. yeah, it's mm -hmm. crazy. 30-day delinquencies. And you can see the overarching trend is it's going up. Auto loans, credit cards, mortgage, uh, pretty much everything. And everyone's like, well, student loans, we're looking really good. Well, what we're not factoring is we're still not paying on student loans. Now, interest has started to accrue as of September, but we don't, you don't have to pay on your student loans until this September. Okay. The distinct thing, which when you look at trends and you look at charts, what's, what, 
What is significant is when you see a, an actual rollover mm -hmm. of a trend. Not just a small little micro move of a trend or, or an up and a down, but a legit rollover, right? The last time we saw this was back here on this chart and it didn't go anywhere good, right? So that's a sign that's a little bit concerning. Credit cards and auto loans are taking the hit now <clears throat> and now Tej gets to talk about this, which is crazy. So once student loans do resume, this is based off income. So if they're making under $50,000, 51% of people state that they cannot make their payments. Which is like the median income of the United States is yep. in that range, right? So yep. most people. And then 50 to 100,000, 27%, and that's same with 100,000. So people that are making over six figures will not have the ability to pay, make their payments. And then the yellow bracket there, you notice, they say they're going to have to significantly change their spending behavior in order mm -hmm. to afford their student loan payments. So we're talking 80% of mm -hmm. lower income earners, 72% of middle income earners, and high income earners, we're still talking like 60 something percent of people either cannot make the payments when they're due, or they're gonna to have to dramatically change the way they spend. And what do we hear if you listen to the news uh, and you even listen to politics? They're saying, hey, the consumer is spending, the consumer has money, the consumer this, that, and the other. This is about to change. And it's like, have you seen our debt, right? Consumer debt, credit card debt is well over a trillion dollars. It's like, what people are doing is just wishing they had Uncle Sam's paycheck from COVID and that's how they continue spending over and over and over. That like the, the American family is just generally overspending and it makes the economy look good. Something is going to crack, right? Well, not it's, only that, but the average rate on the consumer debt on credit cards is well over 20%. Yeah, well over, it's like 25% mm -hmm. average mm -hmm. right now. So if you guys have clients that are like, man, I've got a 3% mortgage rate, I shouldn't do anything. Well, guess what? There might be unemployment coming. You can't ever forecast that. What happens when you're unemployed? You can't refinance. So you might want to get proactive in talking to us about a HELOC or a cash out refi and get your finances in check. Because just because you got that shiny 2.5% mortgage rate doesn't really mean much when you've got $60,000 or $40,000 in credit card debt at 25%. Mm -hmm. It's way better to get that taken care of. And we stressed our clients, and I'll just reiterate it because I just said it, but if you wait until you need it, it's too late. You don't qualify for a mortgage anymore. So getting proactive and encouraging our clients to take some of these steps is really, really critical. Fed rate hikes that lead to recessions. So every time we've hiked like we have, we've led into recession, except for two. First one was the Vietnam War. The economy is artificially doing okay because of the war. And same thing with the dot-com bubble. So those are the only outliers since 1955 mm -hmm. that when the Fed hikes rates, and they go through a, a rate hike cycle. Those are the only two times we haven't hit a recession. And those are significant times. Now, there's some argument that this time could be like AI, right? There are some things that could lead to like maybe somehow the economy gets bolstered for some weird reason. Technology is going crazy right now. And maybe that is our saving grace and, and we see something, you know, like the 90s. I think the, you know, hopefully the war is not any, the Vietnam War is nothing like what we would experience today. Uh, but the dot-com bubble, it seems kind of similar. You know, we got a huge evolution in, in technology. So maybe, but if you look at every other one, when you see a rate hike cycle, we dive into a recession, even here, you know, at COVID. So chances are, again, just another sign, it seems pretty likely that a recession is going to come. How deep is it? How significant? I don't know. Again, I think it's the commercial stuff. And bear in mind, one thing that's important to know, 
The reason these bank failures are happening is because of that commercial debt and also treasury yields and things because of what the Fed's doing. But the banks essentially, to give you a quick little explanation on it, the banks hold these assets that are long-term assets and they bought these assets, uh, let's just use a mortgage as an example. They bought the mortgage and they're earning 3% and it was a $300,000 mortgage. They're making 3%. So they're making, what is that, 9,000 bucks a year in profit, in interest, the bank. Well, today, because rates are at 7%, they could buy, they could only invest like 120,000 and make the same $9,000 return on investment. So what that effectively means is on their balance sheet, that 300,000 mortgage at a 3% rate is worth about half. Now, the, and I don't, I don't think we actually talked about this. We should. The Fed, when those bank failures happen, implemented this emergency repo facility. It allows the banks to go borrow money on an emergency basis mm -hmm. at the overnight window to create liquidity if they need to fund uh, withdrawals for their depositors. They created this, it was a bailout, again, wasn't publicized. None of us heard of a bank bailout, right? Did anybody hear those words in the news? Well, it happened. And it happened when those first bank failures happened last year. There was a legitimate bank bailout by the Fed. It wasn't heavily publicized, uh, but that's about to expire this, uh, excuse me, next month. That's gonna expire. So in other words, the bank, oh, let me explain. The Fed basically said, hey banks, you have these assets that are really worth about 40 or 50 cents on the dollar but we're gonna allow you to count them as their full value. So it would be like us going to the bank and saying, hey, the guy next door to me in 2021 sold for $300,000 over list price, so that's the value of my house, so I want you to give me a HELOC based on that value. That's kind of what the feds enabled the banks to do. Uh, they can borrow at full value, even though the assets, it's not worth it. Uh, so they're kind of cheating, but that goes away in March. It's done. And there's already banks even with that facility teetering on the edge of failing. And a lot of this has to do with those commercial and, and a lot loans of, as well. Yeah, and a lot of the, the bank's holdings were with tech startup companies, and they felt, it, they felt the effects of this first. So they went, they, and they weren't able to get more money, so they, took, they tried to sell everything they could. But when they all went to sell at the same time, that's when issues started to arise. Mm -hmm. Yep. So does, does that part make sense? Because I think that's a very significant piece for you guys to understand. Yeah, cool. Thank you for tuning in. For more industry insights, follow us on all platforms at Loans Elevated. And to get in touch with our team, call or text 801-713-4000 or visit loanselevated.com.